Last Trip of the Hindenburg by A.A. Holing. The largest of the Zeppelin airships was built to represent Nazi superiority. It was a dangerously fragile behemoth. At 8pm on Monday, May 3, 1937, the Hindenburg rose slowly from an airport west of Frankfurt, Germany. A battery of searchlights played on the huge red swastikas emblazoning her tail fins until the largest airship ever built, carrying 61 crewmen and 36 passengers, vanished into the misty darkness. The dirigible had already completed 10 trips to the United States, but this one was somewhat more than routine. The German government had received anonymous threats that the Hindenburg would be destroyed. Apparently none of the passengers had been warned, or if they had, they had dismissed any idea of danger. The passengers were similar to a cross-section aboard an ocean liner. Ferdinand Lamott Peter Berlin of Washington, D.C., a Sorbonne student returning home, Herben Donor, owner of a wholesale drug firm in Mexico City, his wife Matilda and three children. John Pan, North German Lloyd Line representative in New York and Mrs. Pan. Clifford L. Osborne, an export sales manager from Chicago. There was a Swedish editor, a German tea merchant, a San Francisco exporter, and the European representative of a New York advertising agency. Captain Max Pruss was in command, succeeding Captain Ernst A. Lehmann, who was also on board. The Hindenburg was almost as ornate as a luxury liner. With individual cabins, shower baths, an aluminium grand piano, and a carefully insulated smoking room. The kitchen, stocked with two tons of food, could prepare almost any delicacy. Public rooms were large and handsome, with broad windows that could be kept open. The airship was due at the Lakehurst, New Jersey Naval Air Station at 6 a.m. Thursday, May 6. It was apparent that she would be late, however, even in the early hours of Tuesday when she was passing over the North Sea. First she dodged thunderstorms and then butted into headwinds. The great ship rode gently nonetheless and the monster latticing of aluminium girders, the skeleton of her 248-metre hull, creaked in a muted pleasant obligato. No one recalled giving a thought to the 200,000 cubic metres of highly combustible hydrogen from which their lives were literally suspended. At dawn on Thursday, the Hindenburg flew low over Nova Scotia. Bostonians gaped up at her in the forenoon, and after lunch she was cruising southward over Long Island Sound. To the west, huge thunderheads were building up. Commander Charles E. Rosendahl, skipper of the Lakehurst Air Station and a survivor of the crash of the dirigible Shenandoah 12 years earlier, was giving radio reports to his old friend Captain Lehmann on the fast-changing weather. From four until almost seven, the Hindenburg was forced to waste time hoping for better landing conditions. Thunderstorms were now lowering visibility and producing gusts up to 37 kilometres per hour. The dirigible cruised down to Atlantic City and back. Finally, Commander Rosendahl told Lehmann that the wind at Lakehurst had dropped to 11 kilometres per hour and visibility was good. The disturbance seemed to have passed. Baggage was piled in the Hindenburg's exit passageway and passengers were at the windows as the great ship nosed down. Herbert Morrison, an announcer for radio station WLS in Chicago, was already broadcasting the approach. Coming towards us like some great feather is the Hindenburg, 
From the airship's promenade deck, passengers were watching the ground approach. The thousand spectators' friends and relatives below could clearly see them waving and smiling. At 7.20pm, lines were thrown out from the nose of the ship. Chief Boatswain's mate Frederick J. Tobin's ground crew of 200 men seized them and began coupling them to the mooring mast. W. W. Groves, an engineer who planned to check the dirigible's copper tubing, was complimenting himself on his vantage point, now the underbelly of the Hindenburg was lowering right over his head. Suddenly, he saw a small spark like static electricity dancing underneath the stern. It started immediately up over the fat hull. He opened his mouth to tell the man nearest him about it. At the same time, Rosendahl saw a tongue of flame appear atop the hull. It was exactly 7.23pm. Groves never formed the words in his opened mouth. The whole tail section burst into flames and I began to run, he said later. Above my head, burning fabric began to fall. Radio announcer Morrison clutched his microphone and screamed, It's burst into flames! It's crashing! It's crashing! Terrible! There was an explosion, followed in seconds by another. Inside the Hindenburg, passengers were thrown to the floor. Mrs. Donor, conscious of a blinding flash, pushed a window open and threw her eight-year-old son through it. Pan saw a window tear loose and started to jump. Others heard him call for his wife, then turn and look for her. Peter Berlin jumped blindly, hoping he would land on soft earth. Forward, Captains Pruss and Lamand struggled to hold the controls. On the ground, Morrison watched the entire stern half of the ship being devoured by billowing flames and smoke. It's falling on the mooring mast. This is terrible. This is one of the worst catastrophes. The flames are 500 feet into the sky. Commander Rosendahl ran to get out from under the rapidly descending dirigible. Its flaming tail had almost hit the ground, and the forward section, at a 45-degree angle, was spewing fire through its nose. Boatswain's mate Tobin, noting that the wreckage would just miss his crew, called out, Navy men, stand fast! We've got to get those people out of there! The airship, burning in almost every cubic metre of her bulk, had nearly settled when Matilda Dona and her oldest child jumped out of a window. Other windows melted away, and a few people hurtled from them, literally into the arms of the waiting ground crew. Exactly 32 seconds after the first spurt of flame, the Hindenburg was on the ground, almost all of her 200,000 cubic metres of hydrogen consumed. Figures that were hardly recognisable as people ran out of the crackling wreckage, stumbled, got up and ran again. The clothes of many were half burnt off, still aflame. Werner Franz, 14-year-old cabin boy, appeared suddenly, drenched but unscathed. Although the ship had fallen flaming atop him, a water tank had burst over his head and shielded him from the heat. Pan, who had turned back to search for his wife, was nowhere to be found. Neither was Mrs. Pan. Herman Dona was missing, but Matilda and the three children were rescued. All were hurt, and one had but a few hours to live. Peter Berlin had tumbled onto a sandpit, and now, not a thread of his suit singed, he walked toward his waiting family car. An unexpected number of the crew appeared from out of the flames. Captain Pruss was not critically hurt, but Captain Lamarne, mortally burned and his back broken, was hurried to an ambulance by stretcher-bearers. Ich kann es nicht verstehen, he kept repeating. I can't understand it. 
Herbert Morrison could hardly continue his broadcast. Oh, the humanity, he sobbed, and all the friends. By dusk, the flames were gone. The wreckage lay hot and twisted. Thirty-three people had perished, and three more would die later. In Berchtesgaden, Germany, it was 2am when Chancellor Hitler was given the news. This was the first serious setback to the prestige of the Third Reich. That a symbol of German engineering genius should fall prey to an accident seemed unthinkable. Nevertheless, Dr Hugo Eckener, the Hindenburg's builder, pronounced it an accident, possibly a hydrogen leak ignited by static electricity. On the other hand, there were others, including Commander Rosendahl, who were convinced, and still are, that sabotage was a valid explanation. Either way, the fiery destruction of the swastika-stamped Hindenburg was an undeniable portent for the approaching fate of the system which had spawned it. It was also the end of the dirigibles. For more RD Talks, visit readersdigest.com.au Brought to you by Reader's Digest Australia. Narration by Zoe Mernier. Sound production by Ricky Price.